With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the live services of I Saw the Light Ministries. This is a special broadcast. Happy Pentecost 2018.
Let's stand for prayer. Go, Heavenly Father. Praise your holy name. Father, you are so holy, good, and perfect. We thank you, Father, that you give us privilege and, if we are saved, even the right to come to your throne of grace. Thank you, Father, that you are loving, caring, compassionate, knowing our trials and tribulations, knowing our tests, our our temptations, our struggles, our weaknesses. Thank you, Father, that you know 
that we are but human, made of dust. Thank you, Father, for giving us a chance at eternal life, opportunity. Thank you for showing the way, setting example, calling us, choosing us. Even though none of us were qualified when you first called us, you saved us while we were still sinners. Called us, you chose chose us. Looking at the finish line, that even though we were not qualified, we're capable by your strength, by your mercy, by your grace, by your leadership, by your teaching. We are capable, we'll be capable of finishing the finish line, crossing the finish line with your help, Father. We ask you, Lord, to continue, Lord, your mercy and your grace upon us and help us, Lord, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, to persevere, to push on, to not give up, to not turn around, but to continue to press on for that finish line. We ask you, Father, for your special help today, on this holy day, to celebrate, to rejoice, to do right, to glorify you, to think upon you, to reverence you and your day. We ask you, Father, forgiveness of our sins, wash our sins away, Clean our hearts and our minds. Clean our souls. Clean us, Father, and we shall be clean. Purify us, and we shall become pure. Wash us, Father. Cleanse us. We know that the scriptures say that if we profess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We we stand on or take or claim that promise, that holy scripture. And we say to you, Heavenly Father, the Son of God and the Son of Mankind and our Father, that you, Lord Father, be glorified in this day. We say to you, happy Pentecost. We pray, Lord, that you are enjoying this day with your people around the world. We pray that you are enjoying this day with Lisa, with Kiki, with AJ, with Jonathan, with Nicholas, with Meekness, with Brittany, with Michael, with me, with other people, brothers and sisters around the world, even brothers and sisters that have weaknesses like I do and flaws and imperfections and sins as I do, that you continue, Father, your patience with us, forbear with us, long-suffer with us, longer, Father, do not give up on us, Lord. 
hold our hand and lead us and direct us, Father. We pray, Lord, that the rest of this day be happy for you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would put a smile on your face. We pray for help in this sermon and in this service. Help us to understand. In your holy name, Father, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in the book of Prophets. Joel, the book of Joel. Joel 2, page 162, if you have the five-volume edition, page 162 in the Book of Prophets, page 162. Joel 2, God willing, we'll read this entire chapter. For the record, this is June 24th, 2018, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it is the 11th day of the third month. This is Pentecost 2018. Joel 2, verse 1. Sound the trumpet in Zion, which is another name for Israel and Jerusalem. Make a proclamation in thy holy mouth, meaning in his nation, his kingdom. And let all the inhabitants of the land be confounded, for the day of Jesus is near. So it's kind of like the cause of the day of his coming is going to be so powerful and amazing that it, it will kind of confound us, be awesome, fearful. And it says here in the notes, on November 30th, 2016, Jesus led me to write on the ministry newsletter online that Jesus will burn every copy of the King James Version. Then I found out that just the previous day that a man in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, had just found a burnt King James Version Bible page, a page from the King James Version, but only Joel 1, verse 13, through this verse, Joel 2, verse 1. Only these verses preserved that were not burnt beyond recognition. These were the only verses you could read. I estimate that probably a thousand King James versions were burned in the last week. Uh, in the last week of uh, uh, either when I was writing this note or in that week uh, in the Great uh, Gatlinburg Fire, I estimate that number of Bibles burnt 
due to houses, businesses, and churches that burnt. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloominess is near. A day of cloud and mist, numerous and strong people shall be spread upon the mountains as the morning. There has not been from the beginning one like it, and after it there shall not be again even to the years of many generations. In one sense, this is already fulfilled, maybe in the Assyrian invasion or the Babylonian invasion, and uh, from what little bit of research I did, uh, the one place that I looked, it, it said they, didn't, they don't really know when this book was written at all. It's very difficult for them to know. Uh, and maybe best guess might be uh, 18, I mean, uh, 800 and something B.C., way, way, way back. So maybe before the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions before either one of those major invasions of Israel. Uh, in either case, I believe that it's partly been fulfilled at some time in history of a great invasion of Israel that it is predicting that it is talking about rather than the end time in one sense because it says many generations would come after that. So because of that wording, it's not really talking about the very last invasion, the Great Tribulation, in one sense. But remember, any time that you're dealing with prophecy, and this is a prophecy that was fulfilled, a lot of prophecy, lots and lots of prophecy, is dual, having two fulfillments, a foreshadowing and an end-time fulfillment. And if we continue to read this chapter, it will become abundantly clear that it is talking about not just thousands of years ago, but also the end time, okay? So even though it has that word, not again until many generations, that doesn't automatically end the conversation about that, about it being already fulfilled, because if you keep reading it becomes abundantly clear that it has a second fulfillment in the end time. So if we understand that, then this crowd, this army, this multitude of a great number of people coming down on the mountains, the mountains of Israel, it is talking about Ezekiel 38, where it says that Gog and Magog shall come down on the mountains of Israel. Amen. So we are looking at a prediction of the Russian and Chinese invasion of Europe, of America, so forth. Then verse 3, before them is a consuming fire and behind them is a flame kindled. The land before them is as a paradise of delight, meaning they're coming into America, and behind them a desolate plain, and there shall none of them escape. Their appearance is the appearance of horses and horsemen. I think of the four horsemen in Revelation. So shall they pursue. As the sound of chariots, verse 5, the sound of chariots on the top of the mountains, shall they leap. 
and as the sound of a flame of fire devouring stubble. And as a numerous and strong people set in themselves in array for battle, before them shall the people be crushed, every face shall be as the blackness of a cooking pot. This, this meaning, that's just symbolic language for sad. That's why it's talking about. Uh, blackness is a symbol for sadness. Every face shall be sad. Verse 7. As warriors shall they run, and as men of war shall they mount on the walls, and each shall move in his right path, and they shall not turn aside from their tracks. And not once you stand aloof from his brother, they shall go on weighed down with their arms, and they shall fall upon their weapons, yet shall they in no wise be destroyed. They shall seize upon the city and run upon the walls, and go up upon the houses, and enter through the windows as thieves. Verse 10, before them the earth shall be confounded, and the sky shall be shaken, the sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their light. Now, this is not literally saying that all the different stars in the solar system will automatically just go off like somebody turned a light switch off. It's not, don't take that too literal. It's not going to say that the sun itself is going to be destroyed. It's not saying that the sun itself doesn't mean that the sun itself will die and stop shining or that there'd be no reflection from the sun or the moon, or that the stars would just turn off. But rather, that is what it appears like to the humans from our view on Earth, that we won't be able to see the sun, the moon, and the stars as brightly if you compare this verse to Matthew and Revelation in different places. Remember, you can't just read one verse and go by one verse. So to understand this, you have to look at what Jesus said in Matthew, what Jesus and John said in the book of Revelation. And in those verses, it's more clear that, yeah, they continue to shine, but not as bright, okay? And so we've got to be careful not to always be too little. Don't be too little, okay? And verse 11, and Jesus, and this is the result, what this is, is clouds, smoke from war, nuclear war, uh, other types of war resulting in volcanoes and so forth, and meteors crushing, cr- crashing into the earth as well, throwing dust clouds up into the atmosphere. So because of the dust of meteors, and uh, nuclear war and things going on upon the earth, that there is going to be smoke and dust in the atmosphere that will at times dim the heavenly lights. And verse 11, And Jesus shall utter his voice before his multitudes or his army, for his camp is very great, for the execution of his words is mighty. For the day of Jesus is great, very glorious, and who shall be able to resist it? Now, therefore, say of Jesus, your theos, turn to me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with crying, and with lamentation. Amen.
and rent your hearts and not your garments, and turn to Jesus your Theos, for he is merciful and compassionate, long-suffering, amen, and plenteous in mercy, and repents of calamities. In other words, he changes his mind to not uh, destroy sometimes, to hold back judgments, to delay judgments, to prevent judgments, especially if we do repent, if we do fast, if we do turn around our ways. Verse 14, and who knows that he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and drink offering to Jesus your fears. Sound a trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Proclaim a solemn service. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Between the porch and the altar, let the priests that minister to Jesus cry and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and give not your heritage to reproach, though the heathen should rule over them, lest that they should say among the heathen, Where is their theos? But Jesus was jealous of his land and spared his people. And Jesus answered and said to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied with them. And I will no longer make you a reproach among the Gentiles. And I will chase away from you the northern adversary, talking about Syria and Russia, and will drive him away into a dry land. And I will sink his face in the former sea and his back parts in the latter sea, just symbolic language. And his stench shall come up and his stench shall go up because he has worked great things or big things, major things. Be of good courage, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for Jesus has done great things. Be of good courage, you beasts of the plain, animals of the plain, for the plains of the desert have bud, for the trees have borne their fruit, and the fig tree and the vine have yielded their scent. Rejoice then and be glad, you children in Zion, in Jesus your Theos, for he has given you full food, plenty, fully, and he will rain on you in the early and the latter rain as before. Now, there is a symbolism in this early and latter rain, not only in uh, giving us good harvest in different times of year, but also speaking of a, a uh, in one sense, speaking of the, the Pentecost in the book of Acts, when that was a, a outpouring of his Holy Ghost on that day, like rain, okay, that he's pouring his Holy Ghost upon people like rain in the early rain, and then in the latter rain, meaning in the tribulation, uh, and during uh, the sixth seal, when we see the heavenly signs of the sun and the moon and the stars, when we see the event of verse 10 of the heavenly star, sun, moon uh, being clouded over it, so forth. That there's going to be a latter rain of his Holy Ghost being poured out. Amen. So, here on this day of Pentecost, we look back at the day of the first rain. We look back upon 
the outpouring of his Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And we look forward to the great tribulation when many, many, many people will be saved. Amen. It will be a great time in the tribulation despite all of this darkness, all of this gloominess, all of the war and the dust and the radiation and the death and the destruction. Among, amongst all of that, there will also be an outpouring of his Holy Ghost. Amen. He is going to really start calling people to salvation and people are going to start answering that call to salvation. We're going to see a great, great pouring out of salvation upon this earth in that time. It's going to happen. Do not doubt it. Right now, it looks impossible. But when they see the prophecies fulfilled, prophecies I have spoken of, prophecies I've not spoken of, prophecies that are yet to be spoken and written, and the two witnesses, things they're going to say and do, and the Bible is going to be fulfilled right in front of people's eyes, verse by verse by verse. People are going to be saved in huge numbers because they're going to see that. Amen? It's coming. It's going to be wonderful. Praise the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 27. And you should know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am Jesus your Theos, and that there is none else beside me. Not two, not three. There's two manifestations, but not two gods. Amen. And my people shall no more be ashamed forever, and it shall come to pass afterward or sometime in that latter time that I will pour out my ghost upon all flesh, uh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I thought I had changed where it said all. It needs to say um, large number, a large number rather than all. One of these days I'm going to get all these corrections made. <laughs> So we'll cross out all uh, in large numbers. Now, how do I know that it does not really literally mean everyone? Because common sense and scripture both proclaim that there will be people who do not repent, right? Even in the time of the wrath, the last 41 and a half days where Jesus lands on earth. Amen. Okay, let's go back to Joel 2, verse 28. Joel 2, verse 28. <clears throat> and it should come to pass afterward that I will pour out my ghost upon flesh in large numbers because it cannot mean every person because many people will not receive the Holy Ghost. They will not be saved. There will be people that will be judged and whipped and punished in the wrath of God in those last 41 and a half days before Jesus lands on the earth. And there will be people 
that will be, be that will perish in the lake of fire at the end of the 1,100 years. Therefore, it cannot mean that all flesh and all humans will be saved and receive the Holy Ghost. Amen? So common sense and scripture confirms and reveals and teaches that this is not all flesh receiving the Holy Ghost, but rather only in large numbers. A lot of people say, but, 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 but it says all, A-L-L, all. But then, if it really means all, then other scriptures lie, right? But other scriptures, other verses, other chapters, book of Revelation is not lying to us. So it's only a matter of really truly understanding the Greek or the Assyrian. And in both cases, whether you're looking at the Assyrian text or the Greek text, the mistake that scholars Bible scholars, interpreters, and translations make is that they think they know it all about agent languages when they do not know it all about agent languages. Amen? They say all means all when it does not always mean all. Sometimes it means a majority. Sometimes it means a large number. Sometimes it does mean all, but it must be determined by the context, by other scriptures, by the truth. Amen? That is how you determine which way to translate it. Amen? So then it says that he's going to pour out his Holy Ghost upon this large number of people, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Amen? Verse 29 and on my servants and on my handmaids. And remember yesterday I explained maids. It's not a woman that comes in and clean your house. But rather it is talking about females is a maid. So servants and handmaids, females, in those days that I will pour out my ghosts. And I will show wonders in heaven and upon the earth, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. So here it does talk about vapors of smoke in connection with the wonders in heaven or the wonders in the universe. Amen. And so I don't know really that it should be heaven there. It's more possible that that needs to be translated as universe or sky. Upon the earth, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Amen. Verse 31, the sun should be turned into darkness as far as the way it appears, not literally, but rather the way that it appears to us from the view of earth, it appears as the sun is turned to darkness and the moon into blood. The moon is not literally going to turn to cheese. The moon is not literally going to turn to blood. It's only the way it appears to us in the human eye before the great and glorious day of Jesus comes, meaning before he actually lands on the earth. Therefore, all these people that are saying that we're going to be raptured out, that Jesus is coming down to get his people today, tomorrow, yesterday, June 21st, as 
false prophet Steve Fletcher hypothesized, and the person just hung up off the phone because they don't they don't believe what the Bible says about this. Amen. And they don't want to hear me out. They don't want to hear out the rest of the scripture to prove it because they turn a blind eye as soon as I say something that they don't already agree with. They're not willing to learn. They're not willing to hear the scripture out. Immediately hang up the phone because they don't believe what the scripture says. Right here, it says we're going to see these things in the heavens. Amen. Before he comes, right? Amen. And so it also says here in verse 32, and it shall come to pass that many shall call, many, 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 large numbers, many people shall call on the name of Jesus and shall be saved. Amen. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, meaning all of Israel, including in Jerusalem, shall the saved be, saved one be as Jesus has said, and they that have glad tidings preach to them whom Jesus has called. Amen? So, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that uh, this drought, this famine of the word of God upon the earth is not going to last forever. Amen? There are going to be other preachers other pastors, other prophets, other apostles, better than me, that will come upon this earth, that will be called and chosen. Amen? Going to happen. Let's go now to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, God willing, we'll go all the way down to verse 21. Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, beginning to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. At that time, they were staying in Jerusalem, devout, male Jews from every nation under heaven. But remember that we are Jews if we are circumcised in the heart as well. Okay? And it also says in verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and, and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So they were not all speaking Assyrian, and they were not all speaking Greek. 
many different languages because they lived in many places across the globe. And it says they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? So evidently, the ones speaking the tongues were the Galileans, the people in Israel. But the people from other nations was hearing them, each one hearing in his own language that he understood. So if a person is there who understands Spanish, he would have heard it in Spanish. If a person is there that understands Korean, he would have heard the tongues in Korean. So it was the reception of it in each person's ear that sounded as not gibberish, but their language that they understood. I wonder what they heard. You know? Amen? And so it says here, verse 9, uh, the Corinthians and the uh, Medes and the Elanites and the residents of Macedonia, Judea and Capitania, Pompeii and Asia, Paria, Matthia, <laughs> Egypt and districts of Libya around Serene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and new Gentile converts. If you've not underlined that yet, please underline Gentile converts. We talked about that yesterday. Gentile converts, immigrant converts, amen. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own languages speaking of the mighty works of Theos. So that's what they heard, speaking about the mighty works of Theos. We don't know the exact words, but they were speaking about the mighty works of Theos. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity. perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? The others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his hand and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only the third hour of the day. They ain't had time to get drunk yet. It's still early in the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel that we just read. Amen. And he's quoting Joel, and he says in verse 17 here, that it shall be in the last days that Theo says that I will pour forth of my goats on much of mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, including women shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my ghosts, and they shall prophesy. For I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, the way it appears, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, before Jesus comes. And it shall be that many who call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Amen? 
a lot of people say there's not going to be many people saved. A lot of people, Baptist church, Pentecostal church, they say there's not going to be a lot saved. That's a lie. Amen? It's a lie. There will be a lot of people saved. Amen? Let's go down to verse 37. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart because we skipped some verses. And what happened in in the verses we skipped is Peter talking, Peter giving a sermon. And they were pierced to the heart because of that sermon. They were convicted of their sins. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, then each of you be immersed, baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our Theos will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls that day. Amen. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, that breaking of bread is not talking about communion. That's just a, a, a way of saying that they were eating meals together. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Amen. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continually, with one mind in the temple and eating meals from house to house, And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising Theos and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Glorious, glorious, glorious time. That's the early reign, the ancient reign 2,000 years ago. We're going to see things like this our day and our time. But we have to be willing to do the same thing they do, sell our property. Amen? How can you say that we're going to see an outpouring or revival, what they call it, and not do the same things they did? Amen? How are we going to experience a revival, an outpouring of the Holy Ghost? Many people get saved if we are not following the same example of what they were doing. Amen. We have to be willing to surrender pride, money, houses, careers, family. We have to be willing to sacrifice those things and lay it at the apostles' feet. I'm not trying to get rich. God knows I'm not trying to get rich. God knows. Okay? But I've got to go by Scripture. I've got to go by Scripture. 
And if we want to see revival, people have got to stop wanting more and more and more money and be content with what they have and be willing to even surrender that. Amen. There is a day coming when the invasion comes, when the great tribulation begins, when that fifth seal will be revealed, when the people that currently refuse to give up houses and land and people and friends and family, that when that day comes, they will have no choice because it will be taken from them by force by the invasion, by God, by war, by famine, by pestilence. So we test ourselves and we judge ourselves so that we will not have to be judged by him. Amen. Now notice also that we're speaking of tongues in some of these previous verses. And let's go now just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 39 and 40. Corinthians 14, verse 39. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. This is Paul writing the church of Corinthians and of the town of Corinth. And he tells them, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. Yes, the Philadelphia Church of God and the Living Church of God and the Church of God International and the International Church of God, these split-offs of the old worldwide Church of God, they forbid speaking in tongues. It is totally against the rules. If a person were to go in there, feel the presence of the, which you would never feel the presence of the Holy Ghost in their congregations, I promise. But if you were, by some miracle, going to feel the presence of the Holy Ghost in the midst of your congregation and the speaking of tongues were to start coming out through your mouth, they would literally grab you by both arms and carry you out the door. And I'm not kidding. And if you don't believe me, email them. Email them or call them and ask them, do you forbid speaking in tongues during the congregation and the congregation. Learn for yourself. Ask them if you do not believe. And they also forbid saying the word amen during services. It's not that they're against that word, but during services, you're not allowed to worship God. You can worship God at home, they tell you. But at services, you got to sit there like a frozen 
plump of clay without any human emotion, without ever, you're not even allowed to raise your hands while you're singing, while you're worshiping, while you're praying. No raising of hands. No saying amen. No saying praise the Lord. No saying praise Jesus during the song. You've got to follow the book in the songbook. Say every word in the songbook, not a word different. Don't add praise the Lord. Don't add praise Jesus as you're singing. Don't worship. So they may have it right about that we need to keep the seventh day and the holy days and no preacher rapture, no Christmas, no Easter, no Trinity. But when they forbid the speaking of tongues, when the Bible says plain outright, do not forbid speaking in tongues, and they forbid it. And we may forbid you to worship God, to worship Jesus. In services, or else, which, I mean, why are we here? We should do it to worship. Now, they say they don't forbid worship. But they admit, you can't say praise Jesus, you can't say amen, you can't raise your arm, you can't do any of this stuff, you can't speak in tongues. So what do you call that? Forbidding worship. So they're liars when they say they don't forbid worship. Amen. So I caution because a lot of people are like, well, there's no local church, so I should go to the Living Church of God. I should go to the Philadelphia Church of God. I should go to one of these split-off groups of the old World Wide Church of God because they have local churches in many places, scattered in many different nations. So I want to go to them. But why would you go somewhere to worship where you can't worship? don't make sense. Amen? So, please, 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 do not get caught in their snare and their trap, okay, just because they keep the holidays and have some truth. But, uh, and they also worship Mr. Armstrong. I, I remember Mr. Armstrong I still, to this day, honor and respect Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. I do not badmouth him at all. He was my elder. I believe he was a true apostle, as they say. I agree. But he's dead. Amen. He is buried. He is no longer the leader of the church. He's dead. And he had some things wrong. He was not Jesus. Amen. It's not impossible that some of his teachings were wrong. It's not impossible. But they say it it is impossible. They say that. Ask them. Email them. Call them. They say it's impossible that he had these things wrong. They refuse to grow in the truth beyond what some dead man used to teach. They've got to be able to grow in the truth. Amen. Even I myself have grown in the truth. 
confess his death and continue to grow in the truth. We've been learning together things like the bodily resurrection that I learned recently and you learned recently. May God be willing to always grow in the truth. We can't stay stuck in the teachings of a dead man. So why would you want to go there? Huh? Why would you want to go to those churches just because they're close by? It's a trap. Don't fall for their trap. Now, verse 40 says, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner, which is what they focus on, and yet ignore the verse before it. Because they say, if we allow people to raise their hands and say amen and speak in tongues, then everything would not be done properly and in order. But how can you look at one verse and not look at the other? Come on now. Amen? You can have speaking in tongues and still have order according to these two verses side by side. Amen? Amen. You can have both. Absolutely. Amen? You can have both. Amen? So one one of these days, it's very, very, very possible we're going to have a visitor one of these days that might start speaking in tongues. Listen and learn. Amen? Listen and learn when it happens. There's a possibility I might tell them to shut up because I might recognize it as demonic or fake. Either way. Then I can forbid it because that's not tongues. Right? If it's just gibberish, that's not speaking in tongues. Different. So then I can forbid it. Because it's not tongues. Amen. So the pastor is supposed to have that ability to discern. And if he does not have that ability to, to discern the difference, he has no, biz, no business being a pastor. The pastor is not just a preacher. He is also a protector. The pastor, his part of his job, he has many, many, many duties and responsibilities. And one of those duties, among many duties, is to protect the congregation, to warn you about cults, to warn you about evil groups, about traps, about snares, and to keep the order in the church. So that if somebody comes in here speaking gibberish or demonic language, that I am responsible to keep the order in the church and tell the devil to shut up. Amen. To kick somebody out if necessary. If necessary, to fight physically. If necessary. Of course, I don't throw punches right away. But if it comes to that, if it comes to it, then even that. Amen. Whatever it takes to protect my wife, Techno congregation. Amen. And let's go to one last place. Let's go to Revelation 6. Revelation chapter 6. Verse 
Revelation 6, verse 9. And when the Lamb, Jesus, broke the fifth seal out of the seven seals, I saw underneath the altar, this is John talking, not John baptizer, but rather John the Apostle. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had, meaning previously, been slain because of the word of the Theos and because of the testimony which he had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And those gave to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer, go back to sleep. And there is a people that are dead in their grave. They are to go back to sleep, rest a little while longer until their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be murdered, even as they had been, would be completed also. These are dead people in the grave who have been awakened to plead for justice and vengeance for God to have revenge upon the wicked who are killing people or had killed them. But do not, do not distort this to believe that dead people are constantly awake. But rather, they're, 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 they are instructed that they are to rest longer, meaning go back to sleep. In verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became, in the appearance, became black as sackcloth of hair, and the entire moon became like blood. It says that this is not a scheduled lunar or solar eclipse. This is supernatural events. Or the, uh, like I said, war and so forth like that. So I think I need to change the note there a little bit because I don't think it's really a uh, supernatural event uh, rather than, but rather uh, events on the earth, uh, war and stuff like that. Verse 13, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, which is not literally the stars, because if a star falls from the sky, the earth will cease to exist, okay? Because a star is larger than the earth, okay? So it's talking about meteors, okay? Meteors will come down out of the sky. And as like a fig tree casts its unripe figs when it's shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart, Eventually, like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island would move out of their place. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Theos, for the day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? 
I think that this uh, verse 14 through 17 is out of place. I think that either somebody has um, moved the verses out of place or pasted it in the wrong place and they found the manuscripts or or it's in the right place but it's just simply projecting into the future. Okay, because the sky is not going to split apart. And every mountain and every uh, rock, uh, these things, uh, it's just not going to occur yet. Okay? Um, because you compare that with all the times that the sky rose like a scroll, I believe that's in another place. And I believe that occurs actually the very day that Jesus returns. I could be wrong a little bit on this, and it don't really matter whether I'm right or wrong on that, because however it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And it has nothing to do with the way you live, the way I live, what we need to do, the do's and the don'ts, or how to get to heaven or how to be saved. So it don't matter whether I'm right or wrong about how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, and it don't matter how or when it's going to happen, as long as we understand that sooner or later it will happen. Amen? And it's going to happen whether we believe it, whether we don't believe it, whether we know the timeline, whether we don't know the timeline, sooner or later it will occur. Then in chapter 7, verse 1, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth. This really just means north, south, west, and east. He's training the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living fields. And it cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our theos on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, meaning a total from all these tribes from the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, talking about the Jews, 12,000 were sealed. And yet Babylon, the Baptist Church, the Catholic Church, the Pentecostals, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, say that all 144,000 are Jews. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. Well, the Jehovah Witnesses say that all 144,000 are Jehovah Witnesses. Okay? But the Baptists and the Pentecostals and other people say all 144,000 are Jews. Okay? They're all wrong. Both, all those groups are wrong. It's very clear, only 12,000 from Jews. <laughs> and then the next tribe, in verse, later part of verse 5, after the note, 
from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000, from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000, from the tribe of uh, Naphtali, 12,000, the tribe of Manasseh, America, Americans, uh, 12,000, <clears throat> from the tribe of Simon, 12,000, from the tribe of Levi, even though we don't have a Le- Le- Levitical priesthood no more, still, like I said yesterday, there are descendants of Levi, the man, named Levi, 12,000, and from the tribe of Ishachar, 12,000, from the tribe of uh, Zebulah, 12,000, the tribe of Joseph, which is the British Commonwealth, 12,000. Now, originally, the word Joseph represents both Ephraim and Manasseh, talking about America and the British Commonwealth, usually. But, excuse me, in this context, because Manasseh is already listed in verse 6, therefore, Joseph in verse 8 is really only talking about Ephraim to the greatest commonwealth, 12,000. And from the child of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now, it's possible that there's going to be more than 12,000 inside the United States within the borders sealed because it's only talking about tribes not location. So you might have some Jews in the United States that are sealed. And you might have some Manasseh. And you might have some Joseph. You might have some Ephraim. You might have some Danish people. You might have some Sinai uh, from the tribe of Simon or from the tribe of Levi that is in America, but they're sealed. So this has nothing to do with location, only bloodline that the people are still, okay? Now, regardless of the bloodline, they are all true followers of Jesus, okay? And the only reason that they are sealed with this special seal is for this special protection of what is about to come upon the earth. Okay? The sixth seal was just whooping. We just saw the heavenly signs of the sun and the moon and the meteors and the great earthquake. Then this occurs. Okay? So these people are not sealed yet as far as this particular sealing. But if we compare other verses in the Bible about being sealed, there are some other people that are not part of the 144,000 that are already sealed before this even happens in several places throughout Scripture. You can check that out. Just look up in Strong's Recorrent or Blue Letter Bible or Alpha Omega Bible Search or Eastwood uh, on the Alpha Omega Bible, the word seal or sealed. And you'll find out that the Scripture says that we are sealed with the Holy Ghost. And another place says, with the name of Jesus, I think, and, and, and another expression about, about around three ways of different ways of saying that we're sealed. And so we're already sealed. If you have the Holy Ghost, you are already sealed. Already, before this happens. And it don't matter what bloodline you are. 
So you can be Puerto Rican, Mexican, African, Korean. It don't matter what bloodline you are. The Bible says that now, as far as salvation goes in the context, it says now there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. So it don't matter your bloodline as far as getting saved about receiving the Holy Ghost, right? So this particular sealing is not just receiving the Holy Ghost. It's a different sealing. This is a sealing of special protection because these particular 144,000 virgin males have a special calling to minister and evangelize the gospel in the last remaining year upon the earth. I estimate, if I'm correct, one year and one month and one day and one hour that they will have from this moment until Jesus lands on earth that there will be uh, this ministry of the 144,000. Because the Bible says that there will be that specific amount of time uh, between uh, an event of angels to another event. So you have to do your own research on that or look at the timeline on the website and so forth. I wonder if there's a timeline. Well, the timeline I've got in the, back, the last page of the New Testament, I think I need a change and do a put the, the timeline that has more details. Uh, you know, we have that other timeline that has more details. I think I need to replace that near that. So let me make a note of that real quick. But the other timeline in there that gives more details. Okay. Right, so let's see. In verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude beyond the 144,000, which no one could count from every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our Theos, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, angels, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped the Theos. Saying, Amen. Alleluia, uh, and glory, and wisdom, and uh, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might. To our theos forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they of this great multitude? And where have they come from? I said to them, My Lord, you know. He said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. For this reason, they are before the throne of the theos, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. Now, 
This word temple is not referring to a physical temple on earth. It is not. For one thing, the verse explains it. He who sits in the throne will spread his tabernacle or temple over them. Okay? Another place in the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 21 or 22, that says that there will be no temple in Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, and that he himself will be the temple. He himself. And we will dwell in him. He is our temple. So right here, it explains this word temple by saying that he himself. That's basically what it's saying. When it says that he will spread his tabernacle over them, is that he is the temple, and we will dwell in the temple, in him, in his presence. And it says that they will hunger no more, nor thirst no more, nor will the sun beat on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and the theos will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Footnote says verses 15 to 17 reflects several verses in chapter 21 and 22. This does not mean that we are literally worshiping God day and night, every second, for eternity. But we do not do and do not do anything else but actively look upon him, singing and praising. But we will do other things, but we will be serving him, living for him eternally. Yeah, that's what it really means. But a lot of people, lots of lot, I've heard a lot of people in churches say that this means that every second throughout eternity, we're just going to be constantly worshiping him. And that's just not common sense, okay? Are you literally, literally, literally? Every second throughout all eternity, going to be constantly bowing up and down, constantly singing. No, it's just common sense. So, again, you've got to be careful not to take it too literal. Okay? But yes, we will worship Him forever. Amen. But there will be other things to do. Amen. Now, my point today is not to explain the 144,000. We could go, I think, to chapter 14 or whatever chapter it is, explain about the virgins and all that. I've talked about that before, and it don't really matter. It don't matter who they are, whether they're men, whether they're virgins. only thing that matters is, is that there's going to be 144,000 people that are going to be sealed with this special seal of protection, Okay. And it's going to happen and has nothing to do with how we get saved. But my point today on this is that there is going to be that latter rain of a great multitude of people. And notice the connection with the wolfening of the sixth seal. So I believe that it's very possible that sixth seal could possibly, maybe, be woken on the day of Pentecost of some year, the year before Jesus comes back. That's part of the timeline that remains on the website about all the different things that could align 
of several of the holy days. So that remains a possibility for that reason of the connection of this seal and this outpouring of the Holy Ghost and multiplication of salvation upon the earth. And Peter, when he saw the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, people speaking in tongues and so forth, he connected it with the sixth seal, did he not? He connected it with the sixth seal, even though the sixth seal did not open. He was wrong. He was wrong. He was a man of God. He was a preacher. He was one of the 12 disciples. He died for Christ. He was a true man of God, but he wasn't Jesus. He was capable of making mistakes, even wrong doctrine. If Peter could be wrong, I think Mr. Armstrong could be wrong. And I think I could be wrong about things, too. Peter was human. Armstrong was human. I'm human. And we may be wrong about timelines, dates, mediocre things that don't matter. Amen? Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. We can't change it. Amen? What's important is how do we get saved? Who do we worship? Amen? And many people are going to get saved in that day, in that last year. How can they not? When the Bible be fulfilled in front of their eyes, line upon line, verse by verse, it's going to be fulfilled. There ain't going to be no such thing as an atheist anymore. I don't have to have a Bible verse for that. It's common sense. Amen? There will be no atheists after a certain point of time, after so many things happen, because the soul will be so very extremely clear. The Bible is real. The Bible is coming true, verse by verse. You'll be able to keep track of it. You'll be able to put a check mark beside each thing and see what's going to happen next in the next verse or the next chapter. Amen. It's a wonderful time, even though in the midst of darkness, in the midst of great distress and great tribulation, there is going to be hope. Put your mind on the good report. Put your mind on the positive things as Philippians 4 teaches us. Put your mind on the good things. Amen. Be encouraged, brothers. Be encouraged, Pastor Tim. For there is a day of huge numbers of people that are going to accept the real truth. Amen. There's going to be more preachers, 144,000. Amen. There's going to be 144,000 true preachers preaching the truth, plus two witnesses, and probably even more. I'm sure more. There will be more than that as well. But that 144,000 with that particular seal of protection and we're sealed with the Holy Ghost. On this day of Pentecost, despite our physical weaknesses today and despite of my sins and your sins, God is still on his throne. 
Amen. God is still God. He is still in control. And scripture will be fulfilled. Happy Pentecost. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, enjoy your day. Enjoy his day. And uh, happy Pentecost, Father. And uh, happy Pentecost, all my brothers and sisters across the world. I know in some time zones, uh, you're asleep right now. I don't blame you. I would be too. Okay? And I know by the time you wake up and listen to this, Pentecost will be gone. But I hope that you did have a very good Pentecost. I pray that you, you did. And, and that next year be even better for you. Amen. I pray that next year that the entire congregation still be intact and more. That I pray that this time next year that we'll have many more of these seats for people, true brothers, true sisters in Jesus Christ. It may not be in this building. It may be in a cave or in the woods or God knows where. But I pray that all of us will have more brothers, more sisters. Amen. That we would dwell in peace and in unity. Amen. And in the truth and in the light of Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, the promise of power and empowerment. Amen. Do not quench the Spirit. Allow the movement of His Holy Ghost. Worship and praise is so important. Do not quench the Spirit. Allow worship. Praise the Lord. Amen. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.